Please open your copy of God's Word to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, we've been spending the last few weeks here together, and we'll finish that up this morning. Follow with me as I read. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We've been learning that God has revealed himself in two major ways. One is through the world, that is creation, and then through the word, that is scripture. First six verses speak of God's power and majesty and glory being displayed through creation. And then David transitions in verse 7 to scripture, which is the fullest, most complete revelation of God that we possess. And we've been learning about how God's word speaks to the innermost parts of our being, and how God meets us where we are at in order that he might take us where we need to be. And we come to the verses that we're going to be looking at this morning, and we see this interesting combination of two-edgedness, so to speak, that the Scripture has. That, that is, the Scripture is a two-edged sword, that it cuts both ways, that it, that it convicts us, it, it corrects us, and yet it ministers to us in our deepest times of need and sorrow. And so the big idea this morning in these final verses is this. Scripture is a powerful two-edged sword that fights sin and a scalpel that surgically heals our souls. And we'll work through this uh, latter portion of the psalm, and you'll see this uh, unfold and develop. But the whole point is that the Bible cuts both ways. 
Scripture convicts us, it corrects us, it shows us where we are wrong, how we have sinned in the past, and how we are even sinning today, but also guides us and it encourages us. It shows us the way to walk faithfully with the Lord. It fills us with the richness of God's promises and the hope of redemption that that the Lord Jesus is the center of. And so scripture is constantly pointing us to him. The Apostle Paul describes scripture this way in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. In fact, you might want to turn and look there. Um, I don't want to assume that all of us have a working knowledge of this really important New Testament passage, which correlates beautifully with Psalm 19. But if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we have here a declaration from the apostle concerning the sufficiency of Scripture for the needs of our soul. That's what Psalm 19 is from uh, the words of King David. Here we have the same essential truth coming from the apostle Paul, where he writes in verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture or writings, that's what that word means, all writings, all of God's writings, and this time that this was being written the writings were the Old Testament because the New Testament was still being written. So all Scripture, all the writings of God, the revelation of God in Scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out is a little literal translation of the word inspiration. And, and I like this translation because sometimes when we think of inspiration, we think that something has been breathed into someone like, oh, that poet is so inspired, or, or that songwriter was so inspired. And that's not what the meaning is here. The meaning is that God breathed out his word to us, and the record of that word is scripture. So all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You can notice here the four purposes of Scripture that the apostle explains and how they correlate so beautifully with Psalm 19 and especially the passage that we're going to look at together this morning. But Scripture teaches us what we must believe. The word teaching there in verse 16 can also be translated doctrine. But it's never merely doctrine divorced from life. Paul's exhortation to Timothy maintains this indispensable connection. That is, what we believe impacts, affects how we live, at least it better. Uh, obviously, in unknowing ways, what we believe always impacts the way that we live. But consciously, intentionally, as followers of Christ, the word of God is to impact not just what we believe, but what we, how we live. So Paul said it this way in 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. In other words, keep a close watch on your doctrine, but also how you are fleshing out that doctrine in real life. 
So we have to take care of our lives as well as our theology. But it also reproves us. It says, for reproof. So the scriptures convict us when we sin. They are beneficial to us in that they tell us the truth about ourselves. They accurately diagnose the issues of our heart. They show us when and where we've stepped off of God's good path of obedience and faith. And the Holy Spirit then uses his own writings to reprove us and to then prompt us toward repentance. But thankfully, Scripture doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with just telling us what's wrong, but it also then corrects us. It is for correction. The word correction means setting up straight. So God's word not only convicts us and reproves our disobedience, but it teaches us how to get back on the right track, how to walk in the way of the Lord, how to become more and more useful vessels that are fit for the master's use. And then finally, for training in righteousness, that is how to live wisely in the ways of the Lord. The word training can refer to educating believers in the scriptures. In other words, sometimes we're guilty of doing the things we do or not doing the things that we should do because of ignorance on our part. And so we are to be faithful in the imparting of God's truth to one another that we might be trained in righteousness. And, and I bring these four truths to your attention for a number of reasons because many of us are involved in the personal ministry of the word with one another. And my plea to you is to remember all four of these purposes because sometimes we can get hung up on one or the other or we're just all about doctrine or just all about rebuking people or we're all about showing people the way but not necessarily courageous enough to correct what needs to be corrected and then no training in righteousness actually happens. In fact, I, I travel in many, many places to teach on the theology and practice of biblical counseling. And when I do, I almost always find it necessary to stress the importance of all four of these purposes of Scripture. Because what I have found in the 30-plus years of ministry that the Lord has given to me is that many of us involved in the ministry of the Word, we say we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, we say we believe in all four of these purposes, but really we camp out on only the first two. Doctrine and correction, doctrine and correction, doctrine and correction. And we fail to show the wisdom and compassion and patience and grace that it requires to come alongside people to not only show them what is wrong, but how to now live right. How to train, to be trained in righteousness. And that's one of the things we try really hard to do here at Cornerstone. And the Lord is helping all of us to grow in these areas. And so I draw this to your attention to show you that, that the sufficiency of Scripture that is declared in Psalm 19, you find consistently taught through the whole Bible. This isn't just an Old Testament concept. This is for us today. And we ought to ask the Lord to constantly be teaching us to be really well balanced in how we 
minister the word to one another. If you go back to Psalm 19, again, it wants you to think about this two-edged sword concept as, as Paul just explained in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that it rebukes us, it reproves us, it shows us where we are wrong, but then it also corrects us, it shows us how to now live for the Lord. So God's word is a powerful two-edged sword that performs very rich, well-rounded, and wonderful works in our souls. And this morning we're going to think about that two-edged sword of Scripture. In the verses that we're going to look at in detail, God wants you to appreciate three ways that his word helps you to overcome sin and make you whole again. Let's look at these together. Number one, God's word rebukes our sin and rewards our obedience. Verse 11, moreover, by them, by what? By the statutes, by the by the commandments of the Lord, your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So scripture is full of warnings that we ought to listen to, that we need to pay attention to, so we don't wander into paths of disobedience and rebellion and and end up destroying our lives because of not following the warnings of the Lord. But it's also, David says, filled with promises. So it warns us of the consequences of pride, but it also promises substantial reward to those who walk in the humility of obedience to his word. See the two-edgedness there in verse 11? It rebukes us, it warns us, but also rewards us. A New Testament example of this is found in Galatians 6, where Paul writes, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You see there the combination of warning and blessing, warning and promise. There's the warning that, that if you sow to the flesh, if you follow the leading of your own sinful heart rather than the word of God, you will then reap the consequences of that. You will reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, that is, if you walk in obedience to the word of God, you will reap the blessing of walking with the Lord and ultimately Paul says you'll reap eternal life because that eternal life will be evidence that you actually know the Lord and you're following him in his ways. So again, there is this warning that scripture gives to us that we ought to pay attention to. Too many believers just ignore the warnings of scripture. They, they ignore the warning even of the very first psalm, which, which correlates so beautifully with this psalm. 
where we are given warnings and promises again together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither in all that he does. He prospers. We are warned. Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't get your direction and your counsel from life from the world and the world system. Get it from God. Get it from His Word. Because there is blessing that's attached to following the Lord. So there is both rebuke but there's also the promise of reward. We see this in the New Testament uh, in Jesus' illustration in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He gave this very clear illustration at the end of Matthew 7 where he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. That is a story that correlates with Psalm 1 and correlates with Psalm 1911. God's word gives warnings to us that we need to heed, we need to listen to, but also gives amazing promises for those who walk in obedience to it. And by the way, if you're starting to get the idea that I'm teaching here the perfect obedience to the Lord is the only way to blessing, well, then none of us is ever going to be blessed because none of us is walking in perfection in obedience to the Lord. But what it does mean is the more we grow in the Lord, the more our life is becoming patterned after the walk of obedience, which is a path of blessing. The flood of 1913 was the greatest natural disaster in the history of Ohio. Anyone there at that time? Oh, I, you know, I, I guess there's no 110-year-olds here this morning. But It killed nearly 500 people and destroyed more than 20,000 homes. That's what a flood does. When floods come, destruction comes. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. There are storms that come into our lives. There's flood water that rises. And those who have built their lives on the foundation of obedience to the word of God will endure in faith. But for those who have not developed patterns of obedience to God's word, life falls apart. Walking with the Lord gives reward. So God's word rebukes our sin and rewards our obedience. Notice also verse 12. Secondly, God's word reveals our sin and reassures our faith. So there's a second way that God's word fights sin and makes us whole again. It reveals our sin 
and reassures our faith. Look at verse 12. Who can discern his errors? That's a rhetorical question. Who is able, who of us is able to fully discern our errors? No one. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. So David asks this question, who can discern my innermost thoughts so that I can then see my hidden faults and confess them to God? Well, look back at verse 6. How is everything brought to light in creation? It's through the sun. So there's nothing hidden from its heat, speaking of the sun. So just as the sun shines its light into every nook and cranny of creation, so Scripture brings to light what we need to see in our souls. That, that the stuff that God wants to change in us internally. Some of you are followers of Christ and you are so always locked in on the outside how you are behaving and, and probably, more importantly, you're more concerned about how other people are behaving. And true humility, the humility of faith, starts with you looking in the mirror of God's word yourself and saying, Lord, help me to get the log out of my own eye. Help me to stop looking at everybody else and what's wrong in their lives. Help me to start looking into your word and seeing what is wrong with me. What is wrong in my heart? What are my nasty attitudes that need to be brought into submission to the Lord? What are my uh, impure thoughts and what are my mean-spirited thoughts and all of the things that, that are part of our depravity, our sinful nature? Whose growth are you focusing on? Now, please, care about one another and focus on one another's growth as well. But please, not at the expense of your own growth in humility in following the Lord yourself. What are our hidden faults? Well, obviously they're not hidden to God, right? <laughs> so who are they hidden to? They're hidden to ourselves. And David is humble enough to say to the Lord, I know that there's stuff wrong inside of me that I don't even see. Show me those hidden faults that I might deal with them. Forgive me for those hidden faults. We, they're hidden to us because we are blinded to them. That's why we call them blind spots, right? We're, they're blind spots because we're blinded to them. And we all have them. We cannot fully know our hearts. And apart from the insight of Scripture, we cannot know why we do what we do and why we think what we think. And that's why we have got to be men and women and boys and girls of the Word. We have to be in the Word so that God's Word can diagnose the issues of our heart. 
What did the prophet Jeremiah say? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart of man does not only deceive others, it can also deceive itself. And that's what David's after here. He's, he's saying, Lord, deal with my hidden faults. Show me the things that I don't see, that you obviously see, and maybe even other people in my life see, so that I may grow and become more and more like Christ. So the God who knows our hearts employs Scripture as the scalpel to do careful and wise heart surgery on us. And, and when I say heart surgery, I'm obviously not referring to the working upon the physical blood-pumping organ in our chest. For that, you go to the doctor. <laughs> For that, you go to a good heart surgeon and you ask them to deal with that. But what, of course, I'm speaking of is the immaterial heart of man, our soul, our inner being, the control center of our lives. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 4, another classic passage about the power of God's Word. And it's actually from this passage that I stole this phrase, the two-edged sword of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 4, if you'll turn there. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. Look at verse 12 and 13. And notice again the connection here between this passage and Psalm 19. It's amazing. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any what? two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. No creature, that's us, okay, so none of us is hidden from whose sight? God's sight. But we're all naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give account. Hidden faults are hidden to us. We are blinded to them. They are our blind spots. But God sees them. And God says, I want to minister my word to your blind spots. I want you to see the hidden things of your heart. And so what does he use? To do that, the Word of God. And isn't this such a beautiful picture of God as the divine surgeon, the Holy Spirit, who carefully, graciously gets into the innermost beings of our heart, even discerning our thoughts, even discerning our motives, things that we can't see for ourselves. We need God's word in order to grow, in order to be sanctified, to become like Christ. Because these hidden faults or secret sins, so to speak, in us, they eat away at our soul, destroying us from the inside out. And that's so 
What's so beautiful about Scripture is that's the God's Word begins working on the inside and then works out. See, religion says clean up your outside. True Christianity says God will clean up our inside through His Word. And the more and more that happens, the more and more our outside naturally falls in line. God's word performs that delicate soul surgery that every one of us needs. I am amazed. I have known the Lord now for 39 years, and there is hardly a day that goes by that God's word does not do some kind of surgical work on my soul. Showing me hidden faults, showing me, reminding me perhaps of faults that have not been hidden. I've known about them but forgotten about them. And giving me promises and encouragement all along the way. Some of you are computer geeks I'm not. I just know how to use them and I get upset when they don't work. But some of you, you understand these things. And so in computer terms, you can think of it uh, this way, that our body is the hardware and our soul is the software. And when we have hardware problems, we go to the doctor. And when we have software problems, we go to the soul doctor the great physician, the one who created our souls. And sometimes when the body and soul mixes all together and it's all blurry, we say, Lord, give me wisdom and grace to know how to apply your word to my deepest needs and I trust you to take care of all the other mess. Because we can be pretty complex, complicated people. Once we come to repentance and faith in Jesus, then God begins rewriting our software. He does that through his word. Scripture serves as the ultimate antivirus software for our soul. God uses his word to reveal those hidden viruses which should drive us then more deeply into his word for the cure of our Souls, And the more that we grow in Christ, the more we see ourselves as God sees us, which is accurately. <laughs> and then we need to humble ourselves before God and rest in the marvelous provision of Christ for us. Scripture not only reveals our sin, David says, but it also reassures us of the promise of God's Forgiveness. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. What's that? That's a confidence David has in the Lord that the Lord will even wash away his hidden faults. So complete is the forgiveness of God through Christ that even the stuff we're not aware of yet is covered by the blood of Jesus. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. So the Bible not only says what you're doing is sinful, you need to repent, but it also says if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, warning, promise, warning, promise, constantly. 
So scripture reveals our sin and reassures our faith. Look at the third way that God's word fights sin and makes us whole again. God's word restrains our sin and renews our mind. Look at verse 13. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. He's saying, Lord, use your word to restrain the power of my flesh. I wonder sometimes in our walk with the Lord, how many times the Lord has restrained us and kept us from sinning. I think of Abraham, you know, the story of Abraham in the book of Genesis and, and how he, out of fear, lied about who his wife was. And one of the pagan kings then testifies that it was actually the Lord who kept him from sinning with Abraham's wife. If God will do that for a pagan king, how much more will he do that for us? That his word restrains the power of our flesh. Again, that's why it's so important that we live and breathe the scriptures, that they become an internal part of us. Keep back your servant, David says, from presumptuous Sins. What's a presumptuous sin? Well, a presumptuous sin is a sin that's committed with full knowledge and open defiance of what God's Word says. So these are not hidden faults. These are not unintentional failures, which we all have, or things that we do out of ignorance or don't do out of ignorance. These are what you might call high-handed sins, This is when we sin in full knowledge that it's against the will of God and in a sense presuming, presumptuous, presume, presuming upon God's grace and his forgiveness. What shall we say then, Romans 6, 1? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? How can we who died to sin still live in it? In other words, since God's grace is greater than our sin, then why not sin a bunch more so that we can experience the grace of God more? Well, that's a ludicrous thought, and that's what the Apostle Paul says. It's ludicrous. Don't think that way. And David says, let them not have dominion over me. What is he talking about there? Well, he's talking about the enslavement that repetitive sin leads to. So presumptuous sins repeated over time become what society calls an addiction. The Bible calls it dominion, the dominion of sin, the enslavement of sin. And the freedom that we need is found in Christ. Our society is screaming for freedom from God's word. But if we understand scripture properly, freedom is found in God's word. Not from God's word, in God's word. Because if you continue to commit presumptuous sins habitually, 
repeatedly, what happens? You become a slave to that sin. Keep me back, David says. Lord, keep me back from those presumptuous sins. Let them not enslave me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And then look at the beautiful ending to this psalm, verse 14. It's a prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Scripture is the only reliable guide for our thinking. And that's why David ends his his song with a prayer. How can we know that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart, that all of that is acceptable to the Lord? There's only really one way to know, and that is when it lines up with this. This is the ultimate authority. Not my heart, not your heart, not my thoughts, not your thoughts. God's word. So what have we learned in these four weeks in this amazing psalm? Well, we've learned that God reveals himself in creation, in the world, and in the word, scripture. In creation, God reveals his majesty, his power, his brilliance, as a designer in scripture God reveals his will and the way to know him in a relationship the way to walk with him God saves us and sanctifies us through the scriptures he meets the deepest needs of our souls through the power of his word he restores us to the fullness of life with him through scripture He replaces our inborn foolishness with divine wisdom. He rejoices our hearts when they are broken because of the pain that comes into our lives in this broken world. God reveals the light of his truth to our darkened minds through the word. And because of that, David says, God's word is pure and permanent and priceless. It's more to be desired than gold, than much fine gold. Without God's word, we cannot know God. We cannot be saved. And without consistent time in God's word, we cannot be sanctified. We cannot be made more and more like Jesus, which is God's goal for every believer. So, brothers and sisters, I call this morning every one of you to recommit yourself to becoming a man, a woman, boy, or girl of the Word. Become a person of the Word. Live in the word. Love the word. Pray that God gives you the strength to obey the word. Because throughout your life's journey, many things will fail you.
this will never, ever fail you. Never. Father, we thank you for your word. God, thank you for how you're working in our lives. And with David, Lord, we pray, show us our heart, Lord. Show us our hidden faults that we may repent of them and be sanctified. Forgive us, Lord, for our hidden faults. Lord, keep us back from presumptuous sins. Thank you, Lord, that your scripture cuts both ways. It's, it's that scalpel that you, the divine surgeon, use inside of us to show us how we need to trust you more, what we need to repent of. But it doesn't stop there. The other side of that sword heals us as it wounds us. It shows us the promises that you have made to us. And all of those promises are fulfilled in Christ. And so it's in Christ alone that we are confident that your word will accomplish in us what you desire it to accomplish. Father, I pray for every soul here today. Lord, if anyone is here today who does not yet know the Lord Jesus, would you just take your word and so graciously minister to their heart and let the light shine into the darkness and remove the blinders and and bring them, Lord, to the wonderful joy of knowing Christ. And for those, Lord, who have known Christ for months or decades, Lord, may you continue your work in us to sanctify us, that we might be humble, walking in the way of Christ, and that we will be strengthened by your Spirit in the inner person to follow your word. Bless us, Lord, as we grow in becoming more and more committed to the scriptures in our own lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.